Thank you for joining us once again for Kingdom Rock Radio. Now here's a sample of today's broadcast. So now we're not telling people that you're going to go to hell unless you stop that. Because understand how ignorant that statement is. You're going to hell if you don't stop that. If they could stop that, then Christ would not have come. If we could stop that on our own, then there'll be no need for Jesus. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to KingdomRock.org. That's KingdomRock.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the rich word of God. Tonight we're going to speak from the subject of running in the wrong direction. Running in the wrong direction. So many of us, so many of us have been running in the wrong direction. And we're going to really bring this to you in a way that you can understand. Running in the wrong direction. Now, I want you to notice on, on our screen, the sub, subtitling there, it says, Preaching the Right Message, Living the Right Life. It's so important in these last days that the church arises with the right message and we live a right life. Now, right message uh, is the message of grace, is the message of forgiveness, is the message um, that Jesus Christ came to bring to the body. That is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that more tonight. The wrong message would be for us to go and tell people, you're going to hell if you don't stop what you are doing. And many people have said that, and many preachers have said that, and uh, that's not the message of Christ. That's actually the message of law. We're telling them to live up to a standard so that they can be right in the sight of God. That's actually the message of law. That is not the message of grace. When you, when we go forth and we condemn them, uh, we condemn them in their sins. That's exactly what the law did. The law brought the knowledge of sin. The law showed people's sins and, and told them that they were wrong in that sin, but it prepared them for Christ. Now Christ has come. And so we no longer preach, uh, the message of law. We preach the message of grace. We preach what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And Romans, the 10th chapter, tells us that. We're going to look at this real good. I don't know if we'll be able to finish it all tonight, but we're going to really get a good din in it tonight. And hopefully, I pray prayerfully that you will catch the revelation of the message of grace. The thing that Jesus died on the cross to give us. Okay? The right message and the right life. The right life uh, living under grace. The right life is lived under grace, not under law. Now, inside of every man, woman, boy, or girl is the knowledge of sin. You, that's why we don't have to tell people that they're going to hell. They already know it. You don't have to tell people that, uh, you don't have to tell people to feel guilty. They already feel guilty. They already know that they're wrong. They already know that there's something wrong in their lives. They already know it. I already know it. 
whether no matter what the sin is, they already know it. They know that there's something wrong in them and they're trying to find absolution. They're trying to find forgiveness. They're trying to find peace. They're trying to find rest from guilt, from guilt and shame. Now, guilt and shame is actually a marker. It's a marker or an indicator uh, in the life of a person that foreshadows uh, the verdict on judgment day. Let me say that again. Guilt or shame in a person's life is actually a marker that foreshadows the verdict on judgment day. When they stand before God Almighty, when they stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, no one will have to tell them or ask them, are you innocent or guilty? They'll know that they are guilty because shame and guilt tells us that there's something wrong, that there's sin there, that we're guilty. We're guilty of breaking the law. We're guilty. Uh, we're guilty of not being acceptable in the sight of God. So we don't have to go in and proclaim to people, you better stop this or you're going to hell. No, they already know they're going to hell. <laughs> they already know that they're wrong. That's not the message that Jesus Christ came to tell us to preach, to minister. And tonight, uh, uh, we're going to see this uh, more clearly uh, here in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter. Now, I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 10 through 13, verses rather 1 through 13. I'm going to go further. Now, I need to say this too, that the Lord Jesus has already ordained his body to preach. We often hear, and as a matter of fact, we can read in uh, the Romans, the 10th chapter. Let's, let's look at verse 14 first. Verse 14, 15, Romans 10, verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, typically, please hear me. Typically, when you talk about a preacher in a local church, people will point to the pastor. People will point to uh, the ministers or the elders or whoever standing at from the pulpit with a mic on or holding a mic. We think that's the preacher. That's the one that God is called to preach. Now, if that is the only person in congregation, we're in a bad shape. Think about the average average congregation size, maybe between 40 to 70 people, average church congregation. There are some larger, there are some smaller, but I think the average size church is between 40 and 70 people. And in that church, you may have maybe one to three preachers, quote unquote, in that church. So with the body, let's say about 70 people, 70 people and only three preachers. Only three people that are trying to preach the gospel to the world. That's pretty sad. But what if the entire body, the, the 70, caught fire and began to learn the word of God and preached it to their family, to the co-workers, to the stranger in the parking lot, uh, to the one, to the stranger among them? You have 70 people going out telling the good news of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the Lord wants. It is the fivefold ministry that that propels that uh, 
prepares the body of preachers. I am called prepare preachers. That's you. That's you. If we, if we sit in church and think, well, my pastor, let me bring them to church so my pastor can preach to them. Let me bring them to the altar so my pastor can get them saved. You've just stepped over your own mission and given it to someone else. Now, we can bring them to church so that they can be edified and built up and encouraged under the anointing of the word of God. But the first example of Christ that they see will be you. We're the first example. And countless times I've heard, I've heard, I've heard, Deacon and I were talking with a gentleman today who has, who has been stumbling over the bad examples of bad preachers, bad church people. And that's, this is why I'm so glad, and I'll say it, I'm so glad that judgment will begin in the house of God. God will make a dividing line. He will show the world who belongs to him and who does not belong to him. So it's up to us to learn the word of God. We come here on Wednesday nights and on Sundays to learn the word of God so that we can impart it to others. We are taught to teach. We are taught to teach. And all of us should be able to convey the message of grace to the world. We should be able to know the difference between law and grace. We should be able to live under grace and know when someone brings law your way. We should know the difference between the two because the Bible is flooded with it. The New Testament, the epistles is flooded with law and grace. It is flooded telling you the superiority of grace and the inferiority of the law, telling us that we need to live under grace and grace came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How we're not under law, but we're under grace. Our sin does not have the power over us. How Jesus broke that power of that sin and he calls us to live a victorious life. All of us need to be able to share that message with others. So when we invite someone to Christ, the first thing out of our mouth is not law. Remember, law says this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do to please a holy God. That's law. Law is is full of do's and don'ts. Don't do this. Do that. Don't do this. Do that. If we're preaching that message, we're preaching law. That's not what Jesus came to bring us. Remember, he is the fulfillment of the law. And we'll see here in verse number four of Romans, the 10th chapter, that Christ is the end of the law. That he is the culmination of the law. He is the goal of the law. Everything points to Jesus. So now we're not telling people that you're going to go to hell unless you stop that. Because understand how ignorant that statement is. You're going to hell if you don't stop that. If they could stop that, then Christ would not have come. If we could stop that on our own, then there'll be no need for Jesus. Do you understand? But we... We have preached that. We've, as the church at whole, uh, many on the radio preaching hard. They're very zealous, pushing law on people, condemning them in what they are doing. So people have tried. They have doubled their efforts. They have tripled their efforts. I'm not going to do that this week. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that. Only to fall into it again and still feel, feel, and still feel uh, full of guilt and full of shame. And they can never be good enough to please God. Well, that's why Jesus came. Are you with me? Now, let me read to you. So who who are the preachers in today's church? 
That's right. It is the whole entire church of Jesus Christ. We're the ones called to preach. There are people that will never hear my voice, but they will definitely hear you. Hallelujah. They'll hear you. They'll see you. And you need to be able to communicate to them what grace is all about, what Jesus has done for them. Hallelujah. All right. So Romans 10, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 out of the King James Version. And it reads, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who uh, shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And Paul said for a second, he said, this is what we're preaching. We're not preaching the message of law. We're preaching the, this message of grace. We're preaching righteousness gained by faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen, verse 9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thine mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be, what? Saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that is a very familiar uh, text of scripture. If you've been in church for any length of time, we've, we've come to Romans 10, 9 and, and 10, 10, and we've, we've come here to, to get people saved. We've told them if you if you confess Jesus, well, you're going to be saved. If you have faith in him, you're going to be saved. Now, that's true. But to add more power to that, we've got to uh, we, we've got to do what's called a contextual uh, study. We've got to find these. We got to define the scripture in its setting. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, we're going to look at verses 10 and 9, but we're going to. Uh, look at the preceding verses first to get a clearer picture of what uh, Romans 10 and 9 is all about. Are you still with me today? Amen. All right. So let's look at this. We're going to have the right message, the right message at the right time, bringing uh, good results. All right. Let me get this together here. All right. All right, thank you. Let's try this. Now, let's look at some um, definitions. So we're going to go back over to verse number one. Uh, It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse two, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, 
but not according to knowledge. Now, Paul, of course, is a member. He is a Jew, right? He's Jewish. Israel, that's his kin, that's his kin people. So what Paul is saying in essence is, it is my prayer that my kinfolk be saved. Is anybody praying that prayer today? It is my prayer that my kinfolk be saved. Now, now Israel is currently under the law. They're currently under the law. And Christ for them, for some of them, for, for most of the Jews, has been a stumbling block. And we'll see that in, in Romans in ninth chapter. I don't want to lose anyone. So, but understand this. His, it is Paul's prayer that his kingdom people be saved, that they be delivered. And there's only one way to be saved, and that is through faith in Christ Jesus, not in the works of the law. Look at what it says. It says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge. Now, what is zeal? Now, zeal, as you see on the screen behind me, zeal means an excitement of mind. Uh, it means ardor or, or uh, fervor of spirit. Now, ardor means a feeling of great intensity and warmth, fervor. They really want to be saved. They really want to be right. Paul said, I got a lot of kinfolk, and I tell you, they they got a zeal for God. They got an intensity. They really want to do the right thing. But they're going about it the wrong way. Let's look at the Amplified Bible of verse number two. It says, I bear them witness that they have a certain zeal and enthusiasm for God, but it is not enlightened and according to uh, correct and vital knowledge. In other words, the MSV, that's the Mark Strong version. They are running hard in the wrong direction. Are you with me? They really want to be pleasing to God. And we got a lot of kinfolk that really want to be pleasing to God. That's why they really want to stop the drinking. They really want to stop the drugs. They really want to turn their life around every once in a while. They really say, I really want to do right. I really want to do right. And for a while, they will do right. They'll try to come to church. They'll try to put this down. They'll try to put that down. They're really zealous. They're really fired up. They're really intense. But what happens? It just fades out. Why? Because they're trying to live under law. And under law, there is no grace. It's either you do it or you don't. But flesh was not designed. We weren't designed. We cannot fulfill the law. That is, we cannot do right at all times in our flesh. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot do right and keep doing right all the time. Now, the Bible says that there, that there is that there was righteousness in law. Now he says in verse number five, for Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. In other words, the law would make you right in the sight of God; it would make you acceptable in the sight of God. But you had to do everything right from birth unto death. Don't do one single thing wrong. Don't offend God in one single way from your birth to your death. That's all your life. Never make one error. Always do right. Always have your life completely submitted to God, mind, body, and spirit. But you know what? Nobody could do that. Except for one person. And what was his name? Jesus Christ. Are you with me? 
So what people are still trying to do, they're trying to be right with God by doing right things. I need to be right with God by doing right things. So they are trying to measure up to an internal code of standards because inside of all of us, we know what is right and what is wrong. God has written his law or his word on the hearts of all of us, whether we're born again or not born again. All of us know that killing people is wrong. No matter if you go to Istanbul or to some man, to some African man in the backwoods or to some pygmy tribe somewhere else, they all know that killing is wrong. They all know that stealing is wrong. They all know that uh, adultery is wrong and all this other stuff. They know it is written on the heart of man. Who put it there? God did. No matter where you go, what culture, they may not have ever seen a Bible, but they know that there are certain things that are wrong. Who put it there? God did. And it is this internal law that will uh, be their judge on judgment day. They know that they have sinned, that they have fallen short. They know that they have made errors and there's guilt in their heart. They know it. And it is that that the Lord will use to measure them on, on that day because none of them will be able to say, I didn't know because it was written in the heart. Are you with me? So the, so the law of Moses says you keep doing right. Don't make any wrong. Don't make any mistakes. You keep doing right. And then, hey, you'll be right with God. But nobody could do that. Most of us can't get through the day without doing something wrong. I can't get no talking here. We can't get through the day. Let's... <laughs> Not talking about your whole life. Couldn't do it. So he says, I, my kinfolk got a zeal. They want to be right, but they're going about it the wrong way. They want to be right in the sight of God, but they're going about it all the wrong way. Now, I want to show you this. Now, notice what it says <clears throat> Of, uh, in verse number three, it says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now, that sounds like a whole big mouthful there. It says again, for they being ignorant. Now, ignorant is not to know or not to understand, lacking education or knowledge or showing or or arising from a lack of educational knowledge ignorant can be ignorance can be genuine or willful in this case they were ignorant by choice they knew of Christ Jesus but he didn't fit into their plans are you with me they knew of the message of grace that Jesus Christ came to bring. Remember, law came by Moses, Ten Commandments. Law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So they had in their mind that I'm going to be right with God because uh, I'm going to be right with God by doing good things. And this is how I'm going to be acceptable to God, by doing good things. That is called law. But many of us today believe in Jesus, 
But if we don't do right things, if we don't continue to do right things, if we do wrong things, we think that God has rejected us. We think that God is trying to punish us. We think that God is cursing us because we've done something wrong. We think that we are no longer acceptable to God because we've done wrong. And that thinking is under what? Law. Have we really believed in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? The Bible says there, and here again in, um, in verse number 9, he said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Our righteousness with God or us being right with God is dependent upon our faith in Jesus. Faith means that we lean on Jesus. We rely on him. We're depending on him for us being right. That is, when we stand before God on that day of judgment, when when everybody, when all humanity is standing before God and some will be standing in their own righteousness in what they've done, they will have a big sheet of paper saying, God, I did all this right, so you ought to let me in here. Jesus said, many were saying to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you? Didn't we do that for you? Didn't we do this for you? This is why y'all let me in, God, because I did all this stuff right all my life. And he'll say, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I don't know you. Because they were standing under law, trying to make their own way before God. But Paul said, Paul said, it's not in that. He said, there is no boasting. Nobody will be able to stand before God and boast about how good you've been and get in heaven. It's not going to happen. He said, but those that will get in will be there, not standing on what they've done, good or bad, but standing on what Jesus has done. They'll say, Jesus, you got my back, right? Yeah. Well, Jesus got me. I don't have anything to worry about. He's, I'm standing in his righteousness, the things that he provided for me. He's got me. He's got me. It's kind of like, uh, uh, I take my son, uh, to Walmart and, uh, we get a, we get a toy. And uh, he sees the toy. I tell him, all right, son, you can go and get whatever you want to in the toy aisle, whatever you want. You can get one item of whatever you want. So we go down to the toy aisle there, and he picks it up, and he put, pick, picks it up, and he put it in the buggy, and we go to the checkout counter. Now, he's not worrying about money at all. I have told him that whatever you want, I will give it to you. He is not going to the counter. Oh, my God, I don't have any money. How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for this? Oh, this expensive toy. Who is $80? Oh, expensive toy. How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to pay for it? How am I going to pay for it? Now, why in the world would he be doing that? Are you with me? No. He knows that daddy said, whatever you want, pick it up, put in the buggy, and I got you. I'll pay for that. So when he goes up to the, uh, when he goes up to the time of judgment, to the time of proving whether you have enough to pay this, he's not looking at his own pocket. He's looking at me. He's looking at me to whip out my card, looking at me to whip out my debit card or the cash or a check. He's looking to me to uh, make a way. Well, it's the same way with the Lord Jesus. As we are saved, God doesn't want us to go through our whole life worrying, oh, God, I did this again. Oh, I did that again. I can't believe I did this again. He said, what are you doing? I've already paid for that. 
I've already paid the price for that. It's paid in full. Every sin you've ever committed or going to commit already paid for at the cross of Calvary. The blood of Jesus was enough to pay for all of our sins for an eternity and then some. His sacrifice was well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing. That's why the Bible says he sat down. So when on that day when we stand before the Lord, I don't have to worry about uh, righteous money. I don't have to worry about whether I've been good enough or searched my pockets. Can I, can I bring up evidence whether I've been good enough to stand in God's presence? No, Jesus got me. I'm standing in his righteousness. I've had faith in what he has already done. Are you with me? So if someone comes to you and say, you ain't this, I saw you this and that and the other. Well, you may uh, try to bring shame, but in the eyes of the Father, I'm righteous in Christ Jesus. I'm still righteous. And this is the thing that the devil does not want you to know. Why doesn't he want you to know it? Because he likes to control you through law. He likes to control you through sin. You do something wrong. Oh, look at you. You're dirty and no good nothing. God ain't going to bless you now. He can't bless you now. On what basis, devil? On the basis of what you just did. You just sinned. So you're not right with God because of what you did. Is that what you're you trying to base? No, you're trying to put me back under law, I see. No, God still loves me. Why? Because I'm still standing in Christ. When he looks at me, he still sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I will confess this sin before him. And he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I am still God's child. I am still God's child. I am still his child. But if the enemy can get you tied right back up into law and what you've done, bad or good, then that must mean. Now, here again, I said bad or good, because if you think you've done all this stuff, well, now, now God owes me. I've come to church. I've been paying my tithes. So now, God, you owe me because of all the good that I have done. Law. Either way, the devil's got you. You say, well, if you, well, I, I've been doing all this good, but what about the day that you can't do the good anymore? And now what comes? Guilt and shame. Now here's, here comes the devil with the baseball bat, want to beat you over the head because you didn't do something right. When it doesn't matter anymore if I do good deeds or if I do bad deeds. Because I rest in Christ, Christ has now covered me. I'm now in him and I'm now acceptable to God through the ship, through the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, because I've received the Lord's sacrifice and I'm righteous in the sight of God, my life has now changed. The Bible says that my old man has passed away. Behold, all things behold, look with amazement. All things are now become new. The Bible says in, in 1 John that, that the born-again believer cannot continue in sin. Why? Because God is in him. The Spirit of God, his holy seed remains in him, and he cannot continue, and he cannot practice it because he's now a new creature. His nature is changing. So what? So right now the church is between two areas. We are saved that is we have been reckoned righteous in the sight of God through our faith in Jesus Christ not by our works we're here and we're moving toward total sanctification 
That is, as we are continuing in him, he's moving us toward being set aside for his use and his use only. For his use and his use only. And we're walking this thing out. Every day we're being sanctified more and more and more unto God. Are you with me? All right. Now, it says in verse number three, and they being ignorant. So they were ignorant by choice. They were ignorant by choice. Uh, they, they heard the message of Christ. But for some reason, they did not want to follow it. Now, in Hosea, the fourth chapter, you can get this later. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. In Hosea, Hosea, the prophecy that the Lord brought through Hosea, it says, my people knew it, but they rejected it. They knew what I said, but they rejected it. So ignorance here, as he's talking in verse 3 in Romans, the 10th chapter, they knew it, but they rejected it. You go to a lot of church people today and you give them the message of grace. Tell them that they are saved or they're, that they're reckoned righteous in the sight of God Almighty based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And some will still say, well, God can't want me because I'm still doing this or I not stop doing that. Are you hearing me? When your salvation is not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon the work of Jesus Christ. Now, all right, that's Hosea 4. Let me see if I can get the next one up. All right, just go to the next one, please. Try to stay with me. And John, the first chapter, John, John 1, verse 11 through 13. The Bible says here, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Talking about Jesus. They didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now, in uh, Romans, the third chapter, let's go to Romans 3. This shows you a very good example of what we're talking about tonight. We may just end up here tonight. I pray that you're getting, you're getting hold of this. You're getting hold of this. Amen. That you're really catching this. Now, being saved by God's grace does not mean that we have a license to sin. We can just, uh, Paul said this way, uh, what, what, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that have been born again continue in that? can't be it's not possible dogs bark cats meow and those that are born again follow after the spirit of god that is what we do but look at our romans the third chapter and i think we're gonna have to stop here for tonight now this gives also a very clear indication of of uh, law and grace so be really good if you go home and just look into this because understand 
unless you get this, you can't give this to somebody else. You can't give somebody what you're not what you're not walking in. If you are still condemned by your own sins, then you can't preach to anyone else about the law of grace. Are you hearing me? If the devil can still beat you over the head over what you have done or what you haven't done, then you can't preach this message to others because you haven't gotten it yet. Are you hearing me? What Jesus has done, he has freed us from the law. He's freed us from sin, guilt, and shame. Not so that we can go and sin up and have a great party. But he freed us from the law of Moses so that we can concentrate and focus on him and be changed into his image and likeness to be transformed. The sons of God, dawns of God being transformed into the image of Christ in the earth, that we be little Christ walking in the earth. When people look at you, they see Jesus. That's the plan. You understand? That's the goal. Not that we focus on doing things good or doing things right, but that we focus on the Lord. And as we focus on him, his Holy Spirit begins to work with us on the inside, changing us and making us and shaping us, transforming us to being like Christ in the earth. That's the goal. Tell your neighbor, that's the goal. All right, now, Romans, the third chapter, verse 20 through 28. Let me read this. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Did you did you hear that? For by the deeds of the law, that is by your doing right or doing wrong, shall there uh, no flesh be justified. That is, you won't be able to go to God and say, you're let me in here because I did all this right. It won't happen. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, what? Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now that's a concept you got to get. Righteousness of God without law. The righteousness of God without law has been manifested, has been shown. Now remember, before Christ came, Everybody was living under the bondage of law. They were trying their best to do right. Uh, the law was like a schoolmaster, and we'll look at that. It was a guardian, keep, and it kept Israel. It kept the people of God until Jesus should come. Now, everybody under law was always concerned about doing this and doing that to be pleasing to God. Job was a very good example of that. He always made sacrifices for his children because he knew that they were out sinning somewhere. So he tried to do a lot of right to cover for their wrong. He said, I got to get, I got to kill this calf to sacrifice because my children are wicked and they're out there doing that. And so eventually the Bible says the very thing that he feared has come upon them, that their wickedness would catch up to them. So every time they would do something wrong, he would go and kill another calf and sacrifice it to God. Oh, forgive them. Have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. He tried to do enough right to cover for their own. That's law. Are you with me? But there is a righteousness apart from law. 
This righteousness God freely gives to us. Remember, under law, they worked their whole lives trying to be right and always under the constant, um, under, always having the constant guilt and shame over the bad things that they've done. It was like a, a dark cloud hanging over their heads and they were praying that they would be right in God's sight through the good things that they did. But Jesus came and he blew away that dark cloud by saying, now I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you righteousness. You don't have to work for this anymore. I will give it to you. Now we have to do is just receive it. So there's a righteousness that is apart from law. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all, all them that believe for there is no difference. Now look at the, look at all the alls. Anybody can be saved. That is the axe murderer, the, the street walker, whoever. All say all. If they believe. Now that is even the most horrible sinner can be called righteous. Now look at that. The most horrible sinner that wasn't even thinking about pleasing God. God said, if you believe in my son, righteous, I call you right. I call you justified. Justified meaning just if I had not sinned. That's what Jesus does. That's what his blood does. He justifies us. He makes it so just if we had not sinned at all. Are you with me? Let's look again in verse number 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God have set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now that seems like a mighty long tongue twisting verse there. But let's look into it for the time we have and give you some good understanding about it. Now, the word propitiation, now I have it somewhere if you can find it for me. Propitiation. This is a very good uh, definition. I want you to see this as well. Now, propitiation is an, um, Ex, expiatory sacrifice. Propitiation means an expiatory sacrifice, meaning a, a an appeasing or atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. God knew that the death or sacrifice of his son would satisfy all the requirements of the law. And the law said, as you see in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins, it must die. It must die. The wages of sin is death. But God knew that the death of his son, the death, burial, and resurrection of his son would appease his wrath, would satisfy the requirements of a law of the law. So Jesus now stands in our place as the propitiation or as the perfect sacrifice for us. He was the perfect sacrifice. What he did once was never to be done again because it suited God. It, it well pleased the Father. It well pleased the law. 
So Jesus died in our place. He was the, uh, the, the, the lamb that was killed or slain for the sins of the world. Are you with me? And look at verse 26. To decree, rather to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Now, this is why God sacrificed the Lord Jesus Christ, so that he could rightfully decree his righteousness. So he could rightfully do it. It says uh, at this time, so decree his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deed deeds of the law. Now, what does that mean to you? And we're going to have to close here today. What does that mean to you? That means... that when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when we believe, we believe it so much that we confess it out of our mouths. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We believe in Jesus so much that we can't help but speak about it. We confess him as Lord. We confess him as God. We confess him as King. That comes from here, from that deep knowing on the inside. Because if we have first believed, we believe first, then we confess. We believe first, then we confess. You hear somebody say, well, I believe in Jesus, but they're not talking. They're not confessing. They haven't believed. But this belief goes to the very core of us. We have relied on him. And because we relied on him, the weight of the sin and the guilt has been taken away. And we feel so free, we can't help but to proclaim our salvation. We have believed in our heart in his death, burial, and resurrection. We have believed in our heart that he has taken our place. We should have died there on the cross. Our sins, our guilt, we were worthy of death because of what we have done. Worthy of it because we couldn't stand in God's presence in peace. But Jesus came and took our place. And now he transferred his righteousness to us. When he walked the face of the earth, of course, the Lord was totally righteous, totally right at all times, totally right. And he left that righteousness for us. That makes us totally right. We have received his blood. Once you receive the blood of a righteous man, you become righteous. Now, I want you to want to bring this last point to you. In the communion, the Lord said, this is my uh, flesh and this is my blood. Right. He tells us to eat of his flesh because it was broken for us, sacrificed for us. He tells us to drink of his blood because this was the New Testament, the new covenant. This was grace being opened up to us. We become right. If you look at this, we become right in the sight of God by eating and drinking That is the life, the blood represents the life of Christ. His life is now in me. The righteousness that was in his blood is now infused into me. How did sin pass down from man to man to man to man? How did sin, Adam's sin, come down through generations? By blood. How does the sin of your granddaddy 
or your grandmama, great, great granddaddy, how does some of their sinful ways creep up in you in the blood? They were this way and that way. And how's it getting you? The blood, it comes down through the blood. So what did Jesus do? He gave us a transfusion. We traded. He took my blood down to hell and he gave me his blood. And now I'm righteous in the sight of God because I'm filled with his life. I'm, I'm, I've been transfused with the blood of Jesus. So when we come forth and we partake, partake in communion, we're celebrating that fact. We're celebrating the fact that we're now in covenant with God through Christ. We're celebrating that fact. We're celebrating the, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, that God loved us so much that he gave his son to, sacrifice, to live a sacrificial life, to die a sacrificial death, and to be raised again the third day. We celebrate the love of God. We partake of, uh, of communion. So tonight, we, I, I pray that you will leave this service uh, having the right message and living the right life and that you won't run in the wrong direction. The wrong direction is toward law. The right direction is toward Christ, faith in him, grace. Amen. Pray you receive the word of God tonight in Jesus' name. Remember, if you would like to hear more about our ministry, just log on to kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org.